Hey everybody, welcome again to the Illennials podcast, uh, the podcast where we're talking about uh, political social issues as relating to uh, the the millennial generation. I am uh, Smith, and with me today is my, uh, my senior friend. executive host um, of the highest magnitude, Seth. Yeah, uh, that's good. That's that's about what it is. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. Everybody's favorite film franchise. Star Wars. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, uh, got a new movie coming out pretty soon. The yes, Last, Last Jedi. Jedi. Two weeks. Two weeks. Why is it really, really only two weeks? Yeah, something like that. It's like two Thursdays from now. Wow. So yeah. Okay, cool. So, I'm er, excited. Three, something like that. It's close. Yeah. It's close. I mean, we got you got Ryan Johnson, great director. Yeah, um, it's, it's it. one thing I've really noticed as far as the new Star Wars movies is they're doing this thing where they're just like, besides J.J. Abrams, of course, they're just letting directors who have very small beginnings make huge movies. Like mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson, his biggest movie to this date would probably be Looper. Yeah. And even that wasn't like a smash success. You know, he he's made a bunch of really good movies like Brick and Looper, and now they're just like, hey, take a $200 million movie and see what you can do with it. Yeah. And, um... Gareth Edwards, yeah, he did Rogue One. Of course, he did Godzilla before, but before Godzilla, he did a movie he made in his garage yeah. called Monsters, Monsters and yeah. then just jumped right up to Godzilla and then right up to Star Wars. So. That's a meteoric rise, yeah. right There, they're uh, they're really giving these uh these directors a chance because people people were worried going into these new movies they were just gonna like let just the J.J. Abram, maybe even Steven Spielberg types just make all the movies mm-hmm. and not maybe have a different unique you know young voice come into it, but they're they're doing that, yeah. So that's cool. Um, so. I wanted to start out talking about how I got into Star Wars. Of course. Um, Because you are a magnitude of years older than me. (laughs) So, For anyone who's curious, I am uh, 29 years old. I'm sticking with that. Getting close to 30. Uh, I'm in the 18 to 25 range. mm -hmm. Yeah, he is. Um, So I started off with Star Wars because of our dad, who is... I kind of a nerd i guess in some respects yeah he's, um, he's got nerd tendencies yeah and i remember that i first saw star wars we lived in a trailer at the time and we would watch it on the one tv we had in the back with a vcr and uh he showed me movies you know in order um on vhs you know classic way to watch uh movies in my opinion and this is back when there was only four five and six obviously yeah only four five and six and I watched them, and I loved them. Obviously, spent hours outside, pretending to be like a, a Jedi or Stormtrooper or whatever I was feeling on that particular day. Um, and then, in 1997, I believe it was, the re-releases happened, the special mm-hmm. editions. And I went to the local theater, which is in the next town over. Still is. Our town, to this day, still doesn't have a theater in it. Um, and I remember there were people in costume all over the place, and it weirded me out. But it also was really cool because I'd never seen cosplay before. I'd never seen people dr- get that excited and dress up as the characters. So that was a new experience for me. And we watched all three of them, watched all three of the re-releases. And then, you know, after that, we checked out the prequels as they came out and, you know, pretty much enjoyed it. And that's pretty much been yeah. my experience with Star Wars starting out. Yeah, and... um. I always like to say that I was I was forced into Star Wars when I was young because I lived with my brother and my dad, and they loved watching them. I, mean, I, I, I probably first saw A New Hope when I was maybe two or three. Obviously, I didn't understand a thing that was going on. I didn't even understand English probably at that point. You didn't, how When you learn to speak and hear stuff? No one knows. Okay. But yeah, I didn't know what was going on, but I thought it was cool looking, and then as I grew up, I watched more. I think the first one I saw, I saw Phantom Menace in theaters, even though it was only like 
in the three to seven it range. It was ninety nine, so yeah, you would have been in that range. In the three to seven range. Um and once again, didn't know what was going on. I thought it was so cool. Um and then I saw Attack of the Clones and then the one that the first one I was like super like, oh, I understand this stuff now was um Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it was always so fun and it's so it's just it's just such a different universe. And like between the two of us, I think we have a really interesting dynamic because um, up until recently, we, we actually we did a rewatch of the whole series before we did this podcast. Um, up until recently, I would say that you had a larger affinity for the prequels. We were pretty much equal on the original trilogy, and I feel like I have a stronger affinity for the newer movies. Yeah. Um, just between the two of us. Um, but now I would actually like to get into um, something that everyone likes to talk about: reevaluating the prequels, mm-hmm. um, as it's been several years since they came out. You know. Over the years, it's become the general opinion that they suck. Um, but there has been a wave of critical reevaluation of them now that we're looking at them not as, this is a movie we've been waiting 50 years for. This is, you know, this is just a movie. How does it fit into the Star Wars universe? And since you probably have the stronger opinions on the prequel unless you start out, what, what do you think the people have wrong about the prequels? And what do you think maybe the prequels do right and wrong? I think that the the issue of the prequels for a lot of people is that it, they weren't the movies they wanted to see because people had built up a lot of ideas in their heads of what Star Wars was supposed to be and what George Lucas wanted to make was not that. And he cast the Jedi as being these, you know, weird sort of like space monks that have sort of like a shady side to them and the Republic is obviously not the... the it, it starts off as sort of a shiny, you know, liberal democracy, and then it, it gets revealed that George Lucas has some interesting opinions, I think, on bureaucracy and... Yeah, uh, the, the, the prequels are laden with political yeah. commentary. It yeah. comes straight from George Lucas's head. Yeah. But the biggest issue of the prequels, and this is something that I like about them, but is also bad about them, mm-hmm. is that George Lucas wanted to make movies that were a tribute to his favorite era of filmmaking the golden age of Hollywood, the 30s, the 40s, the big, you know, expensive, lavish films that people sort of, uh, uh, that founded, you know, cinema in a lot of ways, and the studio system and stuff like that. But the problem with that is, is that, well, first of all, in my opinion, he pulled it off perfectly. If you go back and watch those movies, and you watch the prequels, they're obviously going to line up pretty well, because he's a, he's a master filmmaker when it comes to making the vision he wants them to have. Yes. But the issue is, that in the 90s and early 2000s, no one remembered the golden age of cinema. No yeah. no one who was watching Star Wars even in the 70s and 80s remembered the golden age of cinema. And so all these like all these these things he did to relate them back to the serials of the time and the pulp movies, they didn't go over very well people because no one remembered them and homage only works if the people who are watching it have some appreciation for the original like the source material, which they didn't. So it's something that you 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 can you can say one thing, and it's so rare that a, that a filmmaker of this magnitude gets to make the film that they want to make with no studio yeah. interference. Yeah, got like full creative vision over there. Then right. they, they just they said they oh you want more Star Wars here take three movies and do whatever you want with them because they knew it'd be, they'd be surefire money makers. And plus, I don't think I don't think Fox had to front any money for it. I think he financed it all himself. Mm-hmm. They just got a cut distribution, which is a good deal for them. And he got to make movies he wanted, and that's very rare, but at the same time, it also demonstrates for us that when an artist is completely unchecked, um, sometimes their vision is not going to resonate with a wider yeah. audience. Not everyone can do it. There are certain people who have done that before. I don't know if Tarantino's done it a couple of times, but 
it's not something anyone can do just because mm-hmm. they're really smart. And George Lucas is a very smart guy with a very large imagination. And yeah, that's something that I think a lot of people criticize. Um, you know, one big thing that people of people who did study it after a while did learn was that you know Hayden Christensen had this really stiff performance as Anakin Skywalker in the final two movies. And it was supposed to be kind of inspired by that James Dean Rebel Without a Cause kind mm-hmm. of character. Almost exactly like yeah. that. And, and it worked for James Dean and Rebel, Rebel Without a Cause. And if anybody had fucking seen that movie yeah. who was watching Star Wars, they would have understood. And, and that's another thing that probably one of my... I have two... At this point, now that I've rewatched them, because I hadn't actually watched prequels in a long time. And I just... I didn't really have a full fleshed out opinion about them. Um, I do think two of the bigger critiques that I can understand is one mostly in the phantom menace the acting is stiff it is the the one thing about the movies is no matter which one it is ewan mcgregor outshines everybody it's it's not even close when he's on in the scene with anybody in the movies um even samuel L. jackson i mean just he just doesn't just doesn't stack up ewan mcgregor he does the alec guinness so well but especially jake lloyd in the first movie playing kid anakin i mean I know that Jake Lloyd entirely quit acting because he got death threats. People hated him for doing it, and I'm not saying you should do that. Obviously, that's terrible. But he did have a bad performance. Like it wasn't. It wasn't even. It wasn't that he ruined Star Wars. No, I don't care about any of that kind of stuff. But he actually was a. And there are. It's not that he's a child. There are good child actors. They just cast a really weird child actor who wasn't really doing anything with the, the performance. And even Natalie Portman had some stiff moments in the first movie. She got. She got better throughout. Um, and yeah, it was just really stiff. But I think one of the bigger complaints about movies is people, people kind of personify the problems with the movies in one character. Mm. I think we know who I'm about to talk about. It's Jar Jar Banks. Yes. And I think both of us can agree, misfire on all accounts. He's supposed to be the lovable character like Chewbacca or someone, or the, or the droids even from the originals, that kids will like, but they tried too hard and went in a weird direction and it, it just even when i was a kid i didn't particularly care for jar jar because yeah. he was he was too silly for what was going on around him and it was weird because they still had r2 and c3po mm-hmm. and that's just it's really strange to me that they decided to go with this other lovable in quotes in kid quotes, character yeah. because i mean we already have the two people love the most i mean r2d2 and c3po are probably my favorite film duo of all time they yeah. you don't understand anything r2d2 does and you don't really relate to c3po that well but they just they work so well together and they're a great comedy duo yeah and i did not see the need and that's and that is that is the surface level problem with jar jar binks and one of the more harmful problems with them is that him and a lot of the stuff the gungans in the movies do is horrifically racist in my opinion very racially charged now i will say that ahmed best himself has said that he does not consider jar jar to be a racist character and there's a lot. I've seen arguments on both sides of Jar Jar falling into sort of the old, uh, let's call it the um, uh, black stereotype of movie characters from back in the golden age of cinema, as well like the Song of the South type thing. Yes. Um, and I could see an argument one one way and the other way, but it just it when you watch Jar Jar on screen something doesn't quite add up there, and it it starts to feel kind of uncomfortable sometimes because him being made out to be the fool character and being sort of like mistreated a lot combined with the fact that he speaks in sort of this like faux like uh you know pan caribbean uh uh, patois is it gets very uncomfortable to see that sometimes yeah and 
obviously that's troubling and you know it, it's it's really weird to watch especially these days when he, he talks in the vernacular he has and also let's not put aside the fact that the the Nemordians, the trade federation aliens speak in these weird chinese like asian yes. person accents and that's just one of many things that, again, Lucas was going for an homage to the Golden Age of Cinema, which comes with some warts. Yeah, that the, we... the, this Golden Age of Cinema happened during, not probably not the best social time yeah. in the period of America. So, so. There's some, there, are some, there are some seedier aspects to that that I would have preferred he not import into a modern movie. But there's something that I like about Jar Jar Binks. Mm. Not, that I, not even that I like. I just think it's so weird is... You talk about meteoric rise of Gareth Edwards. Think about the meteoric rise of Jar Jar Binks. So when we first meet Jar Jar Binks, there are hundreds of Gungans and people running around. He just happens to run headfirst into Qui Gon Jinn, and then they're like, "Well, he's he's us now. He's part of us. He become what is he? He ends up becoming like one of the Trade Federation people. Like he he helps Padme out with her. Oh yeah, he becomes a um a, a ambassador from yes. Naboo. And it's so funny because normally in movies when you have these like, random encounters of these kooky characters who become part of the crew, it's because you end up finding out that this zany character provides something to the crew that you didn't have. But the thing with Jar Jar is he doesn't provide anything, Mm. and they still keep him around. It's so funny because it means that George Lucas had every chance to just be like, oh yeah, that was a one-off, you know, Jar Jar Binks gets maybe five minutes of screen time in the movie, and that's it. But he he really fought for this character because he didn't provide anything to Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and all them, and they still kept him. Of course, he did severely cut down the Jar Jar parts in Attack of the Clones, and even more so in Revenge of the Sith, yeah. because of the backlash. But it was just so weird how he had all these opportunities to get rid of this character, um, and it would have been way less problematic. would have been way harder for people to blame all their problems with the prequels on that one guy if he would have just cut him off early, but he really fought for this character. So, I mean, that's just one big misstep for George Lucas that is, you know... Didn't really bite him financially because people still saw the movies, but, you know, critically people did have yeah. a problem with it. Although I will say that, that Jar Jar does one thing. He he is instructive and emblematic of the Jedi and the reasons they are going to fall later on in the, the film series is because when he's first encountered, uh, I think it's Obi-Wan calls him... Um, well, he refers to Anakin as a pathetic life form, mm-hmm. but he kind of, he calls Jar Jar useless or something like that, which is sort of like a kind of a weird thought to be having if you're the guardians of peace and justice in, in the galaxy. And a lot of things that people don't like about the prequels, I think, come down to this fundamental misunderstanding of what the Jedi are. And the Jedi, when you first meet them in the prequels, and this is the first time we see actual Jedi doing actual Jedi things in the films at all, is... They are going to a diplomatic negotiation to be to strong arm these these trade federation guys into doing what the you know the the republic wants. So instead of sending diplomats, they sent two heavily armed wizard uh, monks yes. to do it for them, which is a pretty I mean teeny rational thinking person. If you were to send two uh, soldiers in to do negotiations, that kind of tells you what sort of negotiations looking for to get. So people had an idea of what the Jedi were supposed to be built up in their minds. And then that was sort of like taken away from them with the harsh truth, which is that your heroes are never quite as good as you want them to be. Yeah. And I know one thing as far as the Jedi go, especially in the prequels that 
Lucas was trying to drive home is the idea of their arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we watched them recently, and like you, we would just like talk about each moment when they were being very arrogant. So talk about that just a little bit. Like, what do you think? Like, how did that? What were those um, seeds that were planted, and how did it lead to their destruction? Well, the the Jedi are very arrogant because they think that they can control sort of how how the Force uh, is. Ex- expressed in people. You see this with Anakin when they first refuse to train him and then they agree because, you know, Qui-Gon gets killed and they realize this kid has some sort of, like, a importance to their... The prophecy, which is my opinion, the prophecy is very... is not mentioned very much in the movies, but it's sort of, like, the key to understanding why the Jedi are, are arrogant. Yeah, about, one second. It's funny about the prophecy. So, there's this book called The, the, the Jedi Path that you can buy. And it comes mm-hmm. in this really cool, like expanding case i bought it for you one time and i was reading it while we were watching the movies one time and the the part about the jedi prophecy has actually been ripped out yeah and there's a note from luke skywalker saying it was ripped out when i got it don't know where it went yeah well because the prophecy basically states that there will be a chosen one a pretty common motif in lots of mythologies and, and fiction um that there that this chosen one will, will bring balance to the force they'll fix all of our problems and they'll they'll correct the course of the galaxy but they fail to understand that bringing balance to the Force mean they think that, that, that their philosophy is the correct one, that their uh, viewpoint is the only one. Yeah, they because when you read the Jedi Path, that I was reading, something you can kind of tell from the movies is they have this idea that the light side of the Force, which are the you know consider the Jedi, um, we only follow logic. We don't consider emotions in any of our decisions. We are logical, which when you read that makes it seem like, oh, they're, they think they're always right. And that mm-hmm. is what they think, even though, I mean, there's no real basis for why they, why they would think that they're always right, except for just, you know, propaganda, basically. Yeah. And then it turns out that bringing balance to the Force does not mean destroying the Sith. It means destroying the Jedi and the Sith. Which is what happens in Episode Six when when Luke, well, when Vader kills the Emperor, and then dies, Anakin fulfilled the prophecy and brought balance to the Force in the end. Um, so really, the Jedi's arrogance was in assuming that this prophecy was good for them, when in fact it was supposed to be a warning that balance does not mean one side wins; it means you know basically both sides must be equal. Exist, right? You know. They, they try to suppress the dark side for so long and told people not to go into it when, I mean, really all the, all the dark side is is the converse of their believing is that, yes, we do we, we bring power from our emotions and we make our decisions based on that. Yeah. And when you look at both sides, it really does, it does make sense why they have to both exist because you can't just have a computer who thinks it's always right and then a person who always thinks it's, who, who thinks that its emotions are always right. You have to have a balance somewhere to make decisions. And I think that's one thing where the Jedi arrogance and and it's it's one of the things where once you tell the Sith or all the people who are tempted by the dark side that they're on the wrong side, it makes them become the bad guys. Yeah. And it make, it's why there's when really the dark side and the light side could work together, mm-hmm. but because of Jedi arrogance and all the outcasts, all the the yeah, outcasting they do of these the people who are tempted by the dark side, it cre- it creates most of the problems. Well, you see many opportunities in the movies where the Jedi could have turned things around for Anakin if they had just understood what he was going through, but they couldn't because they have the emotional intelligence of children because that's when they're taken away from their families and turned into Jedi is when they're kids. Remember, they, they, ref- they refuse to train Anakin at first because he's too old and he's, what, 11 yeah. at best in, in that movie? Which means they are locked, basically, in this sort of emotional development of a child. 
And therefore, let's not forget that in Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan gets outwitted by two different children on two different occasions. Yes. Because they're not capable of dealing with these kinds of situations that Anakin finds himself in as a person who was not indoctrinated and brainwashed in as soon as they were. And their failure to understand what he's going through is the reason they fall. Yeah. Because they are too devoted to logic and reason and not enough to the other side of what makes you... I'm going to put this in quotes, human, since there's more than just humans in this in this series. Yeah. The other part of what makes a person human. Yeah, and that's really funny because, so that, that Jedi Path book I keep bringing up, the one the kind of the, one of the cool things about it is that it's annotated by the famous Jedi. It's been passed around between like seven or eight of the famous Jedi. And it's so funny because every time there's a part about, oh, we, we only care about logic, we only care about saving the, the many over the few... Um, there's always an annotation from Anakin Skywalker being like, oh, but what if, you know, what if you have feelings? So it's like, why, why can we not feel this? Why do we have to only ever consider ourselves and the many? Why can't we ever, you know, save people we care for? And it's, it's just, obviously it's just pointing you in the direction of he's going to go to the dark side. Yeah. And it's always really funny because that's, that's how he sees it. You know, he, he wasn't stunted like everybody else. He has this romantic relationship in the movie, which, you know, he then, you know, becomes a father and he, he has this stuff inside of him, and he doesn't have a good outlet to let it out, except for, you know, being tempted by Palpatine and all those guys. And that's what it, and it becomes that because all the, the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, all people have perpetuated this stuff on top of him. Yeah. And really, when you get down to it, the Force is just a very sort of westernized, uh, uh, simplified version of a lot of, you know, Eastern religions that have sort of a thing, you know, between a light and a dark or an emotional and a, a, and a logical type of worldview. So the Force isn't like something very uh, new or inventive. It's just sort of like Lucas taking those old religions and, well, I'm saying old, they're still modern in a lot of ways compared to other religions, um, and distilling them down into something that people can sort of, you can fit into a movie, basically. Yeah. It's and magic. It's magic. It's just space magic. But it does sort of inform the, the logic of the uh, morality system that Lucas wants to portray in the films. And Lucas is, in my opinion, sort of a very controversial film director because of the political messages he puts into his movies, which are very uh, uh, not discussed often. Like, a fun thing to always tell people when you watch uh, uh, A New Hope is that the Empire is America and the Rebels are the Viet Cong. Because it was made dirt, you know, at the height of the us leaving the Vietnam War. And it sort of is a very political movie about how Sometimes the, the, the oppressed freedom fighter underdogs are the good guys and maybe the side with all the big, you know, super weapons and planes are the bad guys. And think about it, in the final Return of the Jedi, where does most of the fighting take place and who is helping them? It takes it, place on Endor. It's a jungle jungle warfare with this, na- this they're Ewoks, they're basically a native race mm-hmm. of, of the planet and... They're using these, like, they're using rocks and, you know, punji stakes and all these booby traps and mm-hmm. guerrilla warfare to help fight. And it's like, it's so, it's very obvious once you actually think about it, but some people refuse to think about yeah. it. And they think America's the rebels and communism is the empire. Right. Now, I just want to point something real quick. Yes. This is something, this is something that I've always wondered about. Is it indoor or is it the forest moon of Endor, because every time in the films, it's referred to as the forest moon of Endor, but is it, so is the gas giant Endor, or is the forested planet Endor? I think that it's supposed, it was supposed to be the forest moon 
Endor, mm-hmm. but they said the forest moon of Endor and just kind of went with it. Mm-hmm. So if you were to read it that way, it would be that the gas giant is Endor and they're all just on some random moon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the way it's supposed to be read is that the name of the moon is Endor. Also, Star Wars, what's up with uh, one biome planets? What's going on there? Why you got yeah. one for just one type of environment? Yeah, that's actually... Yeah, it's like it's either it's a sand planet, it's a mm-hmm. snow planet, it's a water city planet, planet, city planet. You know, there's not really not a whole lot of diversity. Naboo, I think, has the most diversity in that there are green like like plains and also some water. Yeah, and then some kind of bustling bustling metropolis area. Yeah, uh, but it's 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 really weird to watch these movies and see that there are just like planets. Like even in a even in a, a the Force Awakens, the planet that Jakku. goes to with 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 Maz Kanata on it, it just seems to be a bunch of like islands and water and not much else. Just weird sort of like bunches of rivers. Yeah, or it's, something. It's, it's like and it's weird because it's something you never really see in real life is just it's like strips of land strips of water strips of land strips of water you know mm-hmm. it's kind of it was interesting how how it was laid out that way and it's because i think that people that, that star wars is supposed to be the fantasy it's not science fiction at all it uses spaceships and laser guns yeah. but those are just trappings they're not actual science fiction by themselves yeah it's more like it's i think it's its own it created a genre of space fantasy mm-hmm. people some people try and call it science fantasy and even that's wrong because it's not there's nothing science about it. They're not. He's not trying to relate it to any real thing. It's magic. It's its own world. So it is. It's space fantasy, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think we. I wish we could more more popularize that term for stuff like it. Well, I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't say that it created space fantasy because you had well, you had you know Flash Gordon, the planetary romance in books. It certainly popularized definitely, space fantasy definitely, by far for sure. It was sort of like the, the genesis of this treating sci-fi elements with a fantastical edge. Which really, when you get down to it. A lot of things don't treat the science fiction elements of them, of their their texts, with actual science fiction sort of like a, a, a backgrounds. It's just trappings for the story you want to tell, which is it's good because you don't want a story about ideas; you want a story about people. Mm-hmm. So really, the, the the set dressing is just that; it's just set dressing. Yeah, and so I think this is as good a time as any to bring up. Um, I'll let you tell your story. From when we were watching um, Empire Strikes Back, and there was a they mentioned um, Dagoba. I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell your story. <laughs> I'll tell my side of what happened, which was uh, Seth here when we were watching the movie, and they mentioned Dagoba. He said, "Do you think that George Lucas knew that they that, that was already a word?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "You know, they Dagobas, those little stores like in New York City." And I looked at them for a couple of seconds, and I was like. Do you mean bodegas? And then there was a long pause as he considered that, and he said, "Yeah, I guess, I guess that's right." Although today, I'm kind of unconvinced they might be dagobas. <laughs> you think they're dagobas still? I, I, yeah, I think I, you know what? I think I'm right. I think <laughs> that they were already a thing, and George Lucas decided to call them da- call the planet Dagobah. Call Dagobahs. Okay. Or, right. or I will, I will say this: maybe Star Wars came out before the invention of Dagobahs, or they got their name, and they took it from George Lucas. I mean, that's that's fair. Um, now, why would they call them that? What what does what what would these little stores have in common with Dagobah? I think. Are first, they run by small green men? Th- yeah, I was. Saying, I think at first they were all ran by like small wizards, uh-huh. and they were just they were big. I mean, everyone was a Star Wars fan, and then they were mm. like, "Yeah, we're small wizards." There's, I mean, let's be honest. Most Dagobas are 
like on a swampland. So they're like, yeah, we're in a swampy area. Full of snakes. Full of snakes Weird and big lizard creatures and, you know, planes crash into them all the time. So they were just like, yeah, let's, uh, let's go with Dagobah. They had, there was like, there was a council of the small wizards who run mm-hmm. small stores in New York City. And they were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Call them Dagobahs. Yeah. Well, speaking of George Lucas taking words from other places Whoa. and using them in his in his great uh, segue movies, yeah, but also to loop back around to the politics of Star Wars, George Lucas is not a fan of capitalism or the Republican Party, as noted by the admittedly a little bit racist uh, uh, leader of the Trade Federation, whose name is Newt Gunray, which is obviously uh, an, an amalgamation of Newt Gingrich and Ronald Reagan. Gunray, Viceroy, Newt Viceroy, Gunray. Newt Gunray, and his other his little buddy is named uh, Lot Dodd, which is for two other Republican uh, uh, lawmakers that George Lucas had a problem with, and also the fact that General Grievous's ship in the prequels is named the Invisible Hand, sort of uh, gives away the game there a little bit on on Lucas's opinion of uh, of capitalism, but he also has issues with. Liberal democracy. One second. Go ahead. Has there ever been like a pulpy science fiction kind of comic where they made the president of the United States Ronald Reagan and he had like a little laser gun that he used to defeat his enemies? Ronald Reagan? Because I just thought about that. Reagan. No, I got it. And he shoots his. He's like, hey, come over here, Gorbachev. Bam, bam, bam. I, I got it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gorbachev? That's his, that's his enemy? Bam, bam, bam! Or pew, 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 I should say. That's the bad guy for Ronald Reagan? Yeah, Ronald okay. Reagan and... The premier? Uh-huh. Yeah. Gotcha. What were you saying? I was saying that uh, uh, George Lucas has some issues with uh, the way liberal democracies function because... If you if you go back and watch the prequels, um, you see the. I got an idea. Let's loop back around to another thing. Go ahead. The most emblematic line in Star Wars, which is "No, I am your father." Yes. Which is the a line that was shrouded in secrecy. No one knew about it except for Lucas Hamill, James Earl Jones, and the producer, uh, the editor of the film. Sorry. And everyone else was surprised by this, but but you know Hamill acted as if he'd been told that it was his father, and so it's a line that reveals that sort of like what you thought was true wasn't, and that's emblematic of the prequels because what you thought was true wasn't. The movies aren't what you thought they're going to be; they weren't. But also of the idea that the 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 Republic was not conquered by the empire they weren't you know taken over they were they became the empire which you get a little bit of that in the new hope when they talk about the senate going away but that was never really clear as to what the exact relationship between the senate and the emperor was but the prequels show you that the republic became the empire in a sort of like series of steps that led up to it and i've heard it related to both the, the, the fall of the Roman Republic uh, becoming the Roman Empire and also the fall of Weimar Republic Germany to become the Nazis. And I actually think that the Nazi thing is a bit more, uh, a bit stronger of a comparison because you can actually look at the, and this is a great thing in my opinion about Star Wars, you can look at the art style of their prequels and the way things looked back then and you see the smooth edges, the sort of like bright colors of things 
very uh, uh chrome chrome's a big thing the naboo ship especially chrome all out of the, the place um very art deco and then as the, it becomes the empire you lose those those splashes of color you lose those soft edges and it becomes the rigid utilitarian you know dirty grimy technology of a fascist empire yeah, very black and gray and Lucas, his issue in the movies, if you if you are watching them, is that he thinks that liberal democracies are in danger of sliding into a fascist empire, given enough pressure, just and not even a whole lot in the just in the right places. All it takes is a little bit of work to turn these freedom loving, you know, uh, people who generally are nice into a slavering fascist horde that will conquer, you know, anyone in their way. So I think he has a, a definite issue with uh, going too far. Okay. Me and you, I've seen a couple episodes of this show, The West Wing. <laughs> and I think so have you. And we have our problems with it. Yeah. I think maybe the Star Wars prequels are a better version of The West Wing. How do you Bear with that? me. Okay. The West Wing is a show about a bunch of arrogant assholes who think they're always right and that the 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 good side is always going to win and that politicians actually care about their jobs or people and obviously it's not true um but in that show they always end up winning you know mm-hmm. it's like oh it's always the perfect ending for them even when there's some turmoil and it to me that reminds me of the jedi and the prequel is that they think they're always right and they're always making these best decisions but it's more realistic because in the end, all that arrogance, as we discussed earlier, sows the seeds of their own destruction. Mm-hmm. And then the dark side wins, and then the Jedi Republic becomes the Galactic Empire. And I feel, I just feel like that's a better way to look at it because if you are arrogant and you have all the these ideas and you just think you're better than people and you think the good side's always going to win, and you never you never plan for the worst, mm-hmm. then you you become the Galactic Empire, and that's something that didn't really happen on a show like The West Wing. Well. In real life, that's what happened in a lot yeah. of ways. Is the Weimar Republic, you know, turned into Nazi Germany? Exactly. And Lucas obviously had some feelings about nine eleven that come through in the later movies of the prequels because you see the whole terrorist attack in Attack of the Clones. You see later on in Revenge of the Sith, you see more of the militarization of the the Republic, more of this civil war that's happening between them and the uh, the separatists, as they're called. And that sort of like backsliding uh, is dangerous. And George Lucas thought that America, I, well, I can't speak for him, but I think that the movies sort of like represent his feelings about us going to war over, you know, a terrorist attack. And again, based on false information, just like here in our world, um, people were not told all the facts and it was all set up. It was all set up. That's right. I said it. 9-11, Bush did it. I'm going to go ahead and just say it right now. Bush did it, or at least Bush took advantage of 9-11 to yes. push uh, an illegal and unjust war on two countries that we are still not out of, man. Yes. We're and still there. create a ridiculously unconstitutional um, surveillance program called Homeland Security. Oh, yeah. Our security apparatus is insane right now. Um, but going back to what you were talking about a second ago, I think that on our last episode we discussed PTSD and its mm. representation in pop culture. And I think um, that when they're creating the clones in Attack of the Clones, you see when Obi-Wan goes to the... Where is, where is it at? Kamino. Yeah, in Kamino. He goes there. And to me, I feel like that's a message about 
not necessarily PTSD, but about how the government looks at troops. They look at them, oh, these are just cookie-cutter people we're just throwing into these scenarios, and it doesn't matter how they feel or what they think. It doesn't matter if they feel or if they think. We're just going to get them to do whatever we want. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a, a good, a, like, an interesting way to look at it is that, that, you know, they didn't really care about these troops. And something you learn in the television show The Clone Wars and in some of the books and video games is these clones do have personalities. They're not all just mindless, you know, shoot bots. They have these feelings, but nobody ever really cares about them. And it feel and it just feels like they're sowing those seeds, you know, of this P, kind of almost a message of what can create PTSD is yeah. looking at people as if they are just clones and objects and just pawns you're throwing out onto a table, you know. And what's interesting is that that, that Camino scene where they are showing the clo- the cloning and the training of the clones is mirrored later on in the same movie by the droid foundry on Geonosis yeah, where they're building they're, battle droids. They're basically diametric opposition of each other. Right, but, they, but the thing is that they're both the same. They're yeah. both armies of slaves because... The battle droids are interesting because they are portrayed as sort of bumbling, foolish soldiers that have an issue with the people who are giving them orders but can't resist them. Because the battle droids, at least not in Attack of the Clone, or not sorry, not in Phantom Menace, but later on, are people. They're grunts. They're actual you know soldiers that are being told to go do things they don't necessarily agree with all the time, and they they beg for their lives on certain occasions. They run away. They show self preservation just like a person would. So in the end, when you think about it, the Clone War is being fought between two actors who don't use their actual people but use slave armies to fight the war for them. And that's one of the reasons why I think that Lucas um, shows the Republic falling is that it's so... It's so decadent and corrupt that it wouldn't even fight for itself. It enslaved a bunch of these clones and made them do it for them to fight these droids. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the really big things I know that we can get into about the whole Star Wars franchise is that, and it's not something a lot of people like to look at is that droids are people. Yeah, they they have. They, I mean, you look at C three PO and R two D two. They have their their feelings. They they make their jokes. They whenever. R2-D2 is plugging his robo-penis into a machine. He's talking to it. He's mm-hmm. not, like, hacking into the mainframe. He's talking to it and saying, hey, this is what I need done. And they're communicating. And C-3PO can do the same thing with machines, like the, sh- like the Millennium Falcon. He talks to it. Mm-hmm. And that's just something really interesting that people don't really think about. They just think, oh, these are just robots. There's nothing to them. But yeah, like they're in the, people. In the first five minutes of A New Hope, you see a slave auction happen. You see your hero of the movie and his and his uncle come over to a bunch of, like, enslaved people and buy two of them to take back to their farm to work as slaves. They're not paying C-3PO or R2-D2. They literally get to put a a bolt on them that keeps them from running away because they have the free will to do that. If they were just robots, that would not be a yeah, problem. Yeah, they would just stand in line and do, do any... It just, you know, they wouldn't be... You have to just make them program them to do whatever you want. And yeah. That would be it. At one point, uh, uh, Luke even presses a button on our controller that hurt C-3PO to get him to come out of hiding. It's uh, and it's one of those things that is incredible. And, and and don't forget in Moss Eisley when they say we don't serve their kind here about droids, which is a line that is so weird because first of all, droids don't have any any needs that they would get from a can- cantina. Yeah. So why does he even say we don't serve their kind here unless they thought of them as lesser beings that shouldn't be taking up space in their in their establishment? And it's obviously a, a world where sort of a quasi. Uh, uh, Jim Crow exists alongside slavery, depending on where you are, the status of your droid. You you fall into a very weird, nebulous position, and droids are supposed to be, you know, slaves, 
And that's one thing that people won't really talk about too much or realize about Star Wars is that there's a literal subplot, sort of, of these slave people who are held in bondage against their will in a lot of cases. And and the thing is, the, the, the weird part about it is, it's so bad that none of the characters even recognize it. They don't even think about it. That's how bad it is for the droids. Yeah. And another thing about the Moss Eisley thing is it kind of shows... It kind of shows like a little bit of capitalist greed in the bar owner because not only does he not want to serve their kind, you know, in the Jim Crow way, but also he know he doesn't let droids in because he, he knows they don't pay for anything. They don't need food or drink or any of that stuff. The only thing they would do is gamble there, and he probably doesn't make any money off of that. So he was just like, yeah, I don't even want this waste of space in here because it won't even net me anything in the end. Yeah. And one of the first things you see Cedricio say uh, is that, you know, it seems uh, our lot in life is to suffer. And again, and then you see in uh, episode six in Jabba's palace, they have a torture room for droids. They burn their feet and pull them apart, which would only be effective if pain were a thing droids could experience. Yeah. Droids experience pain, and they also they can also experience fear. You know, mm-hmm. the little mouse bots in the all, all the Empire ships they get they get scared when they see stuff like Chewbacca. They like run away. They have, yeah. they do have these feelings. If it, if it was just a robot, it would just like oh surveying area and then go by. It wouldn't matter. And it's just a super important part of the, to to talk about the films. I think because it's so rarely acknowledged and it's so well done in that so few people see it. It's not. It never beats you over the head with it. It's never overtly stated. It's just subtext that you figure out from watching it enough times. And it makes it even more fucked up when you finally realize that these guys are supposed to be, you know, people, and you're not seeing them that way because, I mean, how do you view other people then in, in, yeah. in light of that? Is it because they look different? Is it because they're mechanical and not organic? What does it say about you, you know? Yeah. And kind of backtracking and talking about just kind of the original trilogy, mm-hmm. one thing that I always like to think about is, I mean, the first movie came out in 1977, and about 15 to 20 minutes in... You're hanging out with this character named Obi-Wan Kenobi, who you have no relation to, and you're seeing a hologram of Princess Leia talking about Clone Wars and all this stuff that happened in the past that you you have no recollection of because you don't have any basis of information. And it's just crazy, and it's just it's something you do not see anymore. No one no one tries to just throw a bunch of stuff at you because to Lucas at the time it didn't it didn't really matter. He knew all this stuff happened or whatever. He just said these words. And he, he wanted to tell a good story with it. And I feel like that's one thing that's missing from modern movies. So people aren't really, people don't want to take that many kind of, those kinds of chances. But Star Wars worked out so well. People were in the crowd and they were just like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what a Clone War is, mm-hmm. but, you know, this is cool. And they kept, they stuck around. And eventually we all, we did learn all this stuff. But it, it's just insane to think that he took such a huge chance. I mean, he, he ended up, he had to build whole new technologies to film the movie with the Dice Reflex camera and all the editing techniques they used. He had to write a script that, that I don't even know how it got greenlit and how anybody put their money into it. He put up a lot of his own money. He did so much stuff. He, he ended up, at, not at the time, but ended up ruining his entire marriage mm-hmm. at the time because of this film franchise. His wife edited it and actually won an Oscar instead of him, which is really funny. Deserved, in my yeah. opinion. And, I mean, they just took such a huge chance on this movie. And it worked out. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible that it did. Because there's... And the thing was, and Star Wars kind of almost ruined a lot of stuff afterwards. Because so many people were like, oh, we want to do Star Wars now. We're going to make our star, our science fiction fantasy franchise. And we're going to make all this money off of action figures and stuff. But 
Star Wars was a vacuum. It yeah. it took all of, it took everything because people loved it and it was new and it wasn't trying to be something. Of course, it paid homage to Akira Kurosawa and like the dog fights of like World War Two and all these films that he had seen before. But it didn't try to be something that had come out before. It tried to be yeah. its own thing, and it's just cra- not out of the park and has just made the biggest film franchise of all time. Now I had to teach you something. Go ahead. Get you to the counterpoint for all this. These movies that don't take risks and don't okay. do this. A movie that we watched recently that is a space fantasy movie that didn't do so well in this department, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Yes. Now, just for reference, when I saw this movie, I had a tooth infection, and it was hurting me something fierce. I had to rub this, like, weird paste on my tooth to keep it from, like, killing me. So a lot of that movie is just, like, in my mind associated with extreme pain and me phasing in and out of conscious thought, but it still... Let's be honest here, did not do a very good job of this. And it, it wasn't great, and I do think that, sure, it, it kind of tried something new. It did do this world building, and it did these cool scenes. You didn't really see, like, a lot of the scenes were kind of cool. Very like, beautiful movie. Yeah, gorgeous like movie. The, the VR marketplace they are in, that was kind of a cool idea. But one thing that I think really held the movie back the entire time was the main character. Mm. They wanted the main character to both be, like, Spock from Star Trek, super genius, you know top of his game and then they also wanted him to be han solo you know um bad who, boy kind of well character. The, how people see han solo we can, talk, we can talk this in a minute people yeah. pop culture has kind of portrayed han solo as the bad boy cool guy when that's really not the case in the movies and they couldn't really decide on a place and because of that it made the dialogue between the two main characters so stale and predictable and that by itself held the movie back a lot, was because yeah. I was just like, I do not want to hear either of these people talk right now. There was kind of like a real, a really weird power dynamic vibe where it was like kind of rapey, especially yeah. in today's wow, just a couple of months later's light. Yeah. First thing, I know me and you both thought this. You thought they were brother and sister, didn't you? Yeah. All the trailers, I thought they were brother and sister. Thought they were siblings. I, they, they not only did the two actors look a good bit alike, mm-hmm. but I just it's just how it was portrayed to me in, in the trailers. I thought they were brother and sister. And like one of the first scenes, they're like on a VR beach in their bathing suits, and I'm like, well, I guess they're just hanging, just two siblings hanging on the beach, or whatever. And then he like grabs her in the top of him, and they start making out, and I'm like, well, this is a this is quite different. <laughs> what Some Game was, of Thrones shit. This is not what I was here. expecting. And then it turns out they're not. And then. After that scene, it leads right into this terrible dialogue of just, it almost sounded, I mean, we're, we're going to harp on this guy a little bit, Aaron Sorkin-esque, mm-hmm. because it was just like, he was like, let's get in the ship. And she's like, I have three PhDs and a rocket certification. I know what I'm, t-. and it's just like, there are people who are just listing their resumes out when they talk, and yeah. it's so boring, and it's, people have done it so many times, and that, that whole, the whole dialogue and all that was not very inventive, in my opinion. Well, hey, it looked good. Go ahead. She made the Kessel Run in her 13 parsecs. Okay. We can talk about parsecs <laughs> for an hour. But. Yeah. This is a Star Wars episode. No. I didn't like Valyrian. No. Two no. out of ten. It sucked. I do want to point out, people haven't heard about it yet, is that when George Lucas put that word parsec in the movie, people have come up with so oh many explanations God. for why it's a unit. Because, you know, parsecs are a unit of, 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 of distance and not time but sec makes it sound like it's a second right george lucas thought that segments that a parsec was a unit of time yeah. so there's all he, these he didn't have the internet to just go on his phone real quick and say hey what's a parsec he just wrote it he yeah. didn't care but then somebody asked an interview if lucas knew that and he said yeah i thought it was a unit of time like all those explanations in the comic books were just bullshit yeah cover my ass he's like i didn't care i'm just writing a fantasy movie and uh 
we've got we've got some time left. I mm-hmm. think it's time for us to transition out of George Lucas and talk about what they're doing with the new films. Of course, so far we've only seen two new Star Wars movies, which would yeah. be The Force Awakens and Rogue One, which is actually a prequel. Um, they have them before A New Hope. Um, but yeah, and like, I think that we're having a kind of similar um, experience to when the prequels came out because when the prequels came out, there was this big idea. Um, pe- people like them. People like the Phantom Menace when it first came out. Mm-hmm. You don't people don't talk about it, but there there's actually a pretty pretty lot of, a lot of people who were like, yeah, this movie is actually pretty good. And then over time, before Attack of the Clones came out, people watched it more. They decided that they hated it all of a sudden. Um, not that all the criticisms are unwarranted. We're not saying that. There are very there's a lot of valid criticisms about the prequels if you want to. Yeah. Um, but people, these Star Wars hardcore, we're we are Star Wars. We we know what we're talking about. We know what Star Wars is. They didn't want the prequels to be real anymore because it wasn't the Star Wars they wanted. Right. And now we've reached this point where when The Force Awakens came out, I mean, I loved it. That movie was awesome. I love all of it. I just think it's so cool. They've created so many cool characters and I love where they're going with it all. Um, and when it first came out, great reviews. I mean, it had like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes when it first came out. You know, outstanding opening reviews. And then a couple months later, these Star Wars purists, these guys who were like in theaters in 77 and were like, we know what Star Wars is. They're like, no, this movie sucks. You know, it's just a remake of A New Hope, which isn't an invalid criticism. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, once again, it, it, it's not like they didn't, not like they didn't make a safe movie. They did make a very safe movie. But people criticize, and they criticize the smallest stuff that they don't even think about. Like one of my favorite criticisms I like to bring up is people criticize Ray. As a character, the new, probably the, I'm going to say the lead of the new movies yeah. in, in overall, even though there are many moving parts. Um, they're like, well, she shouldn't know how to fly a ship and she shouldn't know how to use the force. And I don't like that because first of all, we do see her like taking parts out of ships when she's younger. And so we do know she at least understands how they work. And that's one thing that she really understands in William Falcon was like, she works on it. She knows how to take it apart and stuff. So we, we've, we've, we've had a visual of her doing this. Luke Skywalker, in the original trilogy, at one point in the cantina, just tells Han Solo, I'm a good pilot. Mm-hmm. Although we have no reason to believe this kid has ever been near a flying vehicle except for the, the hover car they have. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's a good pilot. He, he ends up, you know, destroying the Death Star. Wait, so he used to bullseye Womp Rats in his T-14. By the way, they say Womp Rats are like two meters in size. That's a big fucking rat. That's big. That's like six feet. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and we have no basis to believe that Luke Skywalker is a good pilot. But then when he does it, all these diehard Star Wars fans are like, yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then later, near the very end of The Force Awakens, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, um... There's a lightsaber stuck in snow, and Ray pulls it out with a force, which is a clear homage to a scene in Empire Strikes Back where Luke does the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. People were like, well, how does Ray know she can do that? How can she use the force? But in Luke Skywalker's case, he had never seen anyone move anything with the force in his life. He just yeah. he just knew what the, he knew what the force was, which most people in the Star Wars universe do know about the force because they've heard about it in all these tales and they don't know they don't even though they don't know much about it they know it's real so i mean ray did the same thing he did she just took a chance and it happened to work 
And that's just one of my favorite criticisms of the new movies is that the character doesn't make any sense and none mm. of her abilities make sense. It's both Ray and Luke are uh, a wish fulfillment, you know, power fantasy characters, but people only have a problem with Ray, and I think we all know the reason why that is. And now, I was one of those people who came out of the, the, the seventh movie being like, yeah, that was great, and later on kind of cooled on it a bit. Um, because people were like, yeah, it's a really safe movie, and it is, and it's like a remake of A New Hope. But then again, looking back on The Phantom Menace, that's also kind of a remake of A New Hope, because at the end you have a big battle with the, you know, it's happening in several places, and they blow up a big ship at the end because of one character's actions that hits the weak point and blows it up. So let's not pretend for a second here that George Lucas was averse to borrowing from his own, his self when he's making movies as well. So yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that I don't like it, because I think it is a good movie, and it's a safe movie. But my own criticisms I've reevaluated because I've realized that they are based on something that is maybe not quite as uh, grounded as it should have been. Um, but you know, I still think it's a, I think it's a fine movie. I like it a lot better than the prequels at first blush, I guess, because it's it more it was more uh, exciting than it's definitely more exciting than Phantom Menace, and the acting is leagues beyond some of the yes. stiff performances we had back then. And I'm looking forward to it. I want to see I want to see what they do. Yeah, this. I mean, and the thing the thing about where where we're at right now in in our galaxy mm-hmm. is for people who are really into Star Wars, there's a lot of anticipation for The Last Jedi because of a couple things. Ryan Johnson, hot new director as far as the franchise goes. He's made really good movies in the past. People have a lot of faith in him. He's a very good director. Two, um, it's the longest movie in the franchise's history. It's two and a half hours. No Star Wars movie has ever been this long. And, you know, that's a new that's a new place for them to go is, is, is a new length um, to see how they deal with really, really long stuff. And then three is that Apparently, just from seeing this movie already, the people who've already seen it at Disney, they have already greenlit a whole trilogy from Ryan Johnson to write and direct in whatever way he pleases, kind of like George Lucas did with the prequels. Mm-hmm. That I mean, I mean, if it was George Lucas, of course you would. But this is Ryan Johnson, mm-hmm. a, a new guy who's only made one movie in the franchise so far that hasn't even come out yet, and they're already putting this faith into him. So we have to expect that the Last Jedi is something special. And he has said he wants to do something very different with the movie. And that that's just one reason that I'm very excited about what he's going to do. And there are a lot of people like me that have uh, uh, some issues with Disney being the rights holder to, to Star Wars. And making just... And just like... I remember one of the big things they did when they, took, when they took it over was they blew up the old expanded universe, as they called it. Our extended universe. Or what an awful it. thing to do! No, no. I mean, I thought it was good. I was, I was excited because finally all those like shitty comic books and novels that were pretty bad were gone, and people could no longer point to them and be like, "Well, you see, on page eighty-five of the courtship of Princess Leia, the lizard man exudes pheromones to make her fall." This is true. I'm not making that up. Yeah, this is a real character. Sure. In in that fucking uh, book. Um, and then they immediately did that, and then they sort of like replaced it all with a glut of their own stuff. Comic books and novels and web videos and all sorts of stuff, which is again just sort of like over-explaining and over-exposing uh, over people to Star Wars, I guess. And that's just capitalism. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah, but also, it, you have to understand that people who, people who read these books and mm-hmm. the comic books and all of this web stuff... 
is far less than the people who go to the movies. Right. And they, they make this stuff because that's how certain people like to enjoy the universe. They right. like to have this rich backstory. There's nothing wrong with that. And it, 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 in, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's all, But it is feeding into sort of this uh, larger cash grab of a series, which I, which I, I would say uh, before this, before Lucas sold it to Disney, was largely driven by a single artist or you know a very small group of them who had control over it. And now it's sort of like spun out into all these things that are spread over all sorts of different media. And it makes, it makes it feel like it's a, it's just, it's just Disney doing a, a blatant cash grab. A lot of the stuff, which is fine because I enjoy the media, but it also has to make me think when I consume it, that I am, I am rewarding Disney for their continued efforts to, I mean, we've already seen their attempts to monopolize by buying out 21st century Fox their their shady dealings with with real estate and land and towards journalists who expose them all this kind of stuff. Disney has a dark side, literally, kind of like to it, that we have to be wary of. And I I mean, listen, hey, in the perfect future, one day when we win, there'll be no more like copyright and anyone can make the Star Wars movies they want to make. We can have uh, Fast and Furious, Star Wars, and the movies that people will get made. That's fine. For now, though, this is kind of what we're stuck with. But what you just said about Disney and the dark side mm-hmm. is, I, I love that you said it, because Disney, unlike the old Republic, the Jedi Republic, have a balance. Because, yeah, they, and yeah, I'm just about to go against pretty much everything I believe to defend Disney real quick. Disney does this terrible stuff that nobody should condone. But they also make stuff that I really, really like, like Star Wars and the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And I am on the side. First of all, there are people, I have actually have a couple friends like this, um, who as soon as Disney bought Star Wars, were just like, oh, all the movies are going to suck. And they saw the movies and they said they sucked, even though they didn't even really watch them. They're just there to say that they suck because Disney makes them. And that's a, actually a pretty big sentiment for some people. I mean, once again... Definitely not the majority, because the majority of people are going to see these movies and are very much liking them. Um, But yeah, there's this big uprising of Disney ruins it, they put their little shiny veneer on everything, and they ruin the movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that's true at all. I believe that Disney, like we said, are giving people chances to make something different in the Star Wars universe and make really cool new movies. And I I don't have any problem with what they did with the Expanded Universe or making their own stuff, because... I mean, that's that's a good way to make money, and uh, a lot of stuff they made is actually pretty good. I just read this um, Dr. Aphra, something I'd never heard of before, just a comic book that you picked up the other day. Mm-hmm. I read the first volume of it. It was awesome. I thought it was like a really inventive story. They do some stuff that no, like I've never heard of in the Star Wars universe before in there, like with, with the robots and stuff that was crazy. And, I mean, I'm totally for it, and I just, I don't know, I, just, I have a, like, like I said at the very beginning of the podcast, I have... A very, very large affinity for the new movies. I loved The Force Awakens. I, it might even be my favorite Star Wars movie. I know it's crazy to say with stuff like Empire Strikes Back being out there, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. But I love The Force Awakens. I love what they're going for. And I'm really excited to see where they go with it. And, I mean, obviously I'm going to see every movie. Um, I'm even I'm even hopeful for the Han Solo movie, even though it had the change of directors. I mean, and yeah, they're giving people a chance. And they're putting they're just putting this whole new... There's putting there's putting new stuff out there, and it's cool, and it, it's just it's awesome, and I just, I forgive them for it. Hey, listen, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, and I'm not gonna try to sit here and call anybody else out 
for what they want to consume because we all partake in it. I can look around this room that I'm sitting in right now and see many things that were made by corporations that are pretty evil, that have done terrible things to and exploited their workers, but I still buy them because they make me happy to, to engage in them. Which, sure, call it a superficial or facile you actually, emoton. You actually have a, a Foxconn suicide net <laughs> installed outside of your window. Which is weird because you live on the ground floor. That, yeah, it's weird, you <laughs> so know. It's just like, what is he doing out there? I really I really like Foxconn. Yeah. They're pretty great. It was smart of them to actually brand those, though. Mm. They actually make suicide nets now. That was I cool. Mean, I build my computer myself out of materials and components that are made in these Chinese slave yes. labor factories. I buy video games that are made by people who are overworked and underpaid for their efforts. And I'm rewarding a system that is, uh, uh, frankly, evil, but there's really not much in the way of alternatives to doing that. Uh, I suppose you could say I don't need those things, and I don't. I want them because they make me happy. Like the Star Wars movies make you happy, make yes. you happy as well. They're made by people who have you know a problematic relationship to labor. Um, but the, but again, really, this is all just us sort of like uh, uh, keeping ourselves sane in various ways until we can get to a point yeah. where we can make real I change. Mean, the only way to not had to partake in any way with evil corporations or even evil like parts of the government is to be completely homeless and live like in uh international waters mm. because no matter what even even living in a house you're paying the fucking banks and the housing market that are fucking people over all the time you know reading a book the book publishers are probably fucking they're owned by assholes who rape people over and over for their money i mean what what are you gonna do? There's not there's no way to get around it right now. Right, yeah, but you know back to the larger point of this 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 issue of this issue this issue of our podcast. Yes. yes. Now in 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 visual word format, um, Star Wars. Yes. And it's that uh, I think that in the end, um, Star Wars is sort of this modern day mythology it's this larger than life look at uh, heroes and figures because I'd, I'd wager that probably as many people know about luke skywalker as know about jesus christ at this point I'm not or at least darth vader I mean, or at least darth vader yeah probably which is an interesting yeah <laughs> definitely interesting i mean they hell disney again mickey mouse they said uh, is is known by more people than uh, than christianity which I, I find hard to believe but hey who knows um so yeah, it's it's just sort of this uh, this way of looking at things, and it's it's got a it's a very romantic uh, uh, take on things with sort of a a surface level like feudalism to it. But in reality, when you dig deeper, it has a lot of things to say about capitalism, consumerism, empire, that sort of thing, and it's it's a really good series, and I think that that uh, people should be uh, should be looking forward to enjoying it. And I don't, I don't want to like get all emotional or over melodramatic You're getting or emotional right now i am mm-hmm. but it's star wars has always meant something special to me and to most like a lot of people who are nerds and stuff because it just gave us an outlet to watch something really cool and have something that was made for us and i mean this is a little anecdote when i was one time i was in high school it was in my first year of high school i used to have this really cool star wars shirt i had it since i was like two or three years younger than i was then and it was just a cool shirt. I loved wearing it. I wore it almost once a week when I was in high school. And when I was a freshman, I was in my science class. And one guy literally just pointed at my shirt and said, Star Wars is for kids and you're a faggot. And I was just like, that's 
that's a terrible thing for him to say. And this is when there was no Star Wars movies coming out. And then The Force Awakens came out, and it made more money than that guy will ever see in his life. So fuck him, and just fuck anybody who has yeah. that kind of mentality towards people. I mean, it. I just I love Star Wars so much. It's meant so much, and that's why I wanted to do a podcast about it. It's just such a good, such a good franchise, and yeah. Well, I love it. On a less vindictive, but as emotional note as that, I think that I associate Star Wars most with uh, with our dad because when I was when I was a child, our dad was a trucker and he spent a lot of his time away. Yeah, you know, carrying stuff to places. And so when he came back to the trailer, you know, I always knew that we could watch Star Wars. We could go, we could you know, go to their room, uh, sit there to sort of like watch. Uh, pull, pull, buffed out one of the VHSs, and I think that at that, t- that point, um, A New Hope was my favorite one, uh, that or uh, Return of the Jedi, and just watch them, and, you know, it was a good way to spend time with my dad, because he was away a lot of the time. Um, so, I mean, you know, Star Wars sort of uh, was a, a thing that I had I shared with my father, yeah, and still to this day. I mean, we're going to go see the new movie them on December 15th. Yeah, already got our tickets and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening to us say stupid stuff about Star Wars. You've probably heard from a million other people before. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do this episode because I love the franchise so much. I know my brother does as well. And yeah, that was the Illinials podcast. Yeah, all right. Uh, also, we don't really do this very much, but we, we probably should start doing it and plugging our, uh, ourselves a little bit on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure most of you people listening to this podcast probably found it through Twitter. But uh, for for from me tweeting about it, but in case you haven't, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am uh, at MC Surf. That is S E R F. That's where I'm at on a uh, Twitter. Um, I don't know my Twitter handle off the top of my head, so I'll do it next week. I think it's at Life of Seth with underscores in between the words. I think you think so? Yeah. All so right. check if that and if that's not, it might be me. You'll never know. If so it's, if follow it's, that guy too. If it's not him i'll put it in the show notes um so yeah everybody we'll see y'all all next week yep